Hey, what's up, folks? This is Tony Brewer and Aaron Dotson, and you're listening to or watching, as the case may be, Christianity Now. Christianity Now is the podcast where we discuss current events, and we have a doozy for you today. We're going to be talking about premillennialism and end time and all that good stuff. And before we get into the podcast, because I know we're going to want to dive right into it, I want to turn your attention to the bottom third here and notice the email. We have a sponsor for the show. It's uh, lindsayfaydotson at gmail.com. Are you a part of a church congregation seeking effective ways to spread the word about your event? Well, look no further. Lindsay Dotson specializes in designing modern advertisements for churches. Whether it's flyers, postcards, or social media graphics, Lindsay has got you covered. Reach out through a private message or on Facebook or on Facebook or send an email to lindsayfaydotson at gmail.com. Notice the bottom third on the screen. For more details, don't miss this opportunity to make your message resonate far and wide. Contact Lindsay Faye Dotson today. Thank you so much, and we hope that you will use our sponsor there. Aaron, how are you doing? Hey, I am doing great, and I'm excited about this subject. Uh, yeah. Looking yeah. forward to this discussion. Well, I mean, you know, st when stuff like this happens in the news, I mean, yeah. it, 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 I don't know, man. Like, oh, yeah. Don't pay any attention to wars or rumors of wars and all that. People are looking for a sign to indicate something that they're. Ah, you got that right. Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, I've, I've got some, some arguments. If I can find them, where where did I put them, Aaron? Um, <laughs> you hit them from yourself. I guess I did. <laughs> Good grief! Did you type them? Or write yep. them by hand. Oh, okay. There you go. Right there. Sorry, it was just a window that was tucked back and I couldn't get to it. <laughs> Incidentally, hello, everybody uh, in the live stream. Um, yeah, Pravin from <laughs> India. Dude, there may be a cultural issue here. You don't have to be so flowery. Just join in live, ask your questions and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, we appreciate your being here. Um, Jason Goldtrap, Rusty Kirby, Diana Harden, and uh, Terry Crooks, John Exum, man, we're all doing well, and it's good to see everybody. Now, I have some like 10, 10 arguments uh, against premillennialism, and I told Aaron to bring some, and, and we're just going to talk about them. And the reason we're talking about premillennialism is because premillennialism is a doctrine that says in the future, in other words, the future from today, Israel is still owed land and good by God because of the promise given to the fathers in the long ago. Mm -hmm. And there's just one problem with that. I, I put this out. Um, I put this out on my Facebook page yesterday and got some really interesting uh, feedback. Sadly, some of my brethren just like you, you, I, <laughs> well, I don't want to be negative, but like you, you've missed Ned in the first reader and you're trying to articulate these difficult and, and, and nebulous and nuanced eschatological doctrines. I'm like, you need to get away from that. Get off the internet, quit listening to the news. Quit listening to those stupid, foolish, denominational pastors that you love so much and get back to the Bible. Go get a book by 
Billy Bland or Keith Mosier or some member of the Lord's Church and leave these stupid denominational commentaries alone. Mm-hmm. Why in the world do you think that you can drink from a well that's got 90% pure water and 10% strychnine? And be okay. Oh, well, I just chew up the... I just chew up the grass and I spit out the thistles. No, you don't. You swallow the thistles. You just don't realize it. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I, spit out I, the bones, as people say. Yeah. yeah well, what a sadly, stupid they don't. thing to tell people. Take a chicken leg and just eat the whole thing at one time, then spit out the bones. <laughs> I know. Like, no, that's not how it works. And, and I get, I get attacked because of how I say this. And I don't say it like this all the time. I'm just frustrated because when stuff like this happens, it's, it's evident why I have to say it all the time. The reason my brethren have issues with stuff like this is because they get the John MacArthur study Bible, the Charles Spurgeon commentaries on Psalms. They read Francis Chan's letters to the churches. They, yeah. they go to N.T. Wright for eschatological doctrine whenever he, anyway. Yeah. And oh, then yeah. we wonder, well, the Church of Christ is not a denomination. Mm-hmm. Then why are you having denominational teachers teach you? Right. Yep. Exactly. What was I going? Oh, yeah. Well, you said you had 10 things. And then- well, no, I'm going <laughs> on my Facebook page. Oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, I, I put this post out. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I was kind of tongue in cheek. Where, where is it? Yeah. I'm asking for a friend, Aaron, when (laughs) now, if you, if you feel so inclined, if you don't feel like I'm putting you on the spot, you might think about answering these questions. Mm -hmm. When was all fulfilled related to the promise of God concerning Israel? How much is left to fulfill? Is there any more good thing that Israel is yet to receive that was not already given to them by God? So I'm going to read a passage of Scripture. Joshua 21, 43 through 45, And the Lord gave unto Israel all the land which he sware to give unto their fathers, and they possessed it and dwelt therein. And the Lord gave them rest round about according to all that he swear unto their fathers, and there stood not a man among all of their enemies before them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand, and there failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. <laughs> so if so, there's something good still to be fulfilled, that passage is wrong. <laughs> you have a you, you have to throw away the Bible. You have to throw away the Bible. Not a word of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. Not, excuse me. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken. All came to pass. All of but, it. But, 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 but there's a few things at the end of time. No. All came to pass. That's crystal clear. All came to pass. And does it not need to be said that God had told them about the land, that the land would be conditional? Yeah. You know, Deuteronomy 28 is full of it, especially verse 63. Just as I rejoiced to 
you know, do you good and give you the land, I'll I'll pluck you from it. And Deuteronomy twenty eight sixty three, man, I, that does it. Uh, and I'll scatter you from among the that there's and yeah. Are we well, just, in fact, Deuteronomy twenty eight one through fourteen, and I, the only reason I know this is because I recently did this in an article. Um, Deuteronomy twenty eight one through fourteen is all the if you do what I tell you to do, these are the blessings. And then I can't remember how many verses Deuteronomy 28 has, like 60 something. Mm -hmm. From chapter 68. uh, Yes. So the next from 15 to 68 is if you violate these commandments, here's all the evil and calamity and cursing that's going to come upon you. Yep. Why does he say that? Because humans have a proclivity to do what they're not supposed to do as opposed to do what they are supposed to do. So it's very simple. If you do what you're supposed to do, here's all these blessings. Yep. But if you don't do what you're supposed to do, and I know that you're not, here's all the cursings. I don't want you to be surprised. Yep. I'm forewarning you. Yeah. Let me, let me, get, let me get Kumar here. Um, Kumar, the topic for today is premillennial, premillennialism in the end times. I don't know exactly what you're asking. Um, the um, uh, tell me a little bit more about this and what this means. Why is this not used in our Church of Christ? Uh, if you're talking about why we don't cast out devils and heal the sick because we don't have any miraculous power, the age of miracles is over. Uh, either either the age of miracles died out with the last apostle, and and by by virtue of the fact that there's no one left who can lay on hands to pass the ability to do miracles, then there are no miracles today, or the ability to do miracles ended abruptly in AD 70, and there are no more ability to do miracles today. Both of, those, both of those reasons are acceptable and, 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 and hold with Scripture. So, yeah. uh, but other than that, I don't know what, you, I don't know what you're asking. Yeah. So, but anyway, if, if, you, if you would, let's keep our, keep our questions to the topic of premillennialism and the end time prophecies. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Jonathan Exum says, I don't agree even with some of the brotherhood commentary. There will be things in any commentary that will be false. And my response to that is I would rather start. It's, it's kind of like Aaron, when I'm on vacation, when I try, and I'm, I'm kind of lying because I don't ever take vacation, but if I were to go to vacation and I were to go to someplace I didn't know anything about, and I wasn't able to call ahead and make arrangements for where I'm going to worship on Sunday. If I have the option of three churches, one says Baptist, one says Methodist, and the other hangs a shingle that says Church of Christ, which one would you go to not knowing anything about it other than those three signs? Yeah, I'd go, I'd, I'd go check out that Church of Christ. So if you've, got a, if you've got three commentaries on the book of Romans, one from N.T. Wright, one from Charles Spurgeon and one from Keith Moser. If you didn't know anything about those men other than other yeah. than their their religious affiliations and, and brother brother Moser's a member of the Church of Christ, N.T. Wright and Charles Spurgeon. I'm assuming N.T. Wright's a Baptist. He could be Presbyterian. I don't know. But N.T. Wright's a Reformed theology and Charles Spurgeon is the prince of preachers from England. He's a Baptist preacher. Mm-hmm. Which commentary should you pick up? Yeah, yeah. I'd start with the member of the Church of Christ, and I don't agree with everything Keith Moser ever said. Right, right. 
And some of the things I disagreed with from him when I first heard it, I agree with now. (laughs) And some of the things I agreed with when I first heard it, I don't agree with now. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he'd be fine with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do your own study, he would say. Yeah. Sure. And don't quote me from your notes. Yeah. Don't quote me from your notes. Yeah, I only listen to T. Oh, I can't find that. Hold on. I ain't, I'm not trying to miss anybody. Um, yeah, John says, I agree with I agree with beginning with brotherhood material. And I'd say end with, why would you ever go to a denominational scholar? I'm serious. I, I get tired of virtue signaling, pearl clutching preachers and brethren that, well, you know, I, I stu- he's got some stuff wrong. and. And he's trying his best to teach me doctrine that's going to send me to hell for eternity. But, you know, he, he's really knowledgeable in the grace of God. <laughs> okay. I heard, I heard from somebody I trust, Aaron, that a double-minded man's unstable in all his ways. Yeah. Why would you, why would you listen to him? Yeah. Why would you drink from a well? That is 99%. I'm changing the ratio, Aaron, because I can. 99% pure water and 1% strict nine. Well, um, and I don't, you know, quoting from his notes, but I recall reading in one of Wendell Winkler's, uh, one of his uh, workbooks, and he's a member of the Church of Christ, uh, for those that may not know. But I I recall reading one of his comments about the dangers of denominationalism. And he said, it's kind of like uh, rat poison. It's 98, 99% cornmeal. That's 1%, it. 1%, 2% poison. But you would never recommend it to your children. Never. Ever, ever. Ever. And, and, and I will say this, and I'm not being elitist. I'm not saying that by and large people are stupid. I am saying that there is a difference between a hardened warrior that has seen battle studying the enemy versus a young impressionable brand new soldier sure going and training with the enemy sure very different yeah like when some of the comments that are made that you've already mentioned just in passing and generically it indicates that they um respect or that they admire to an extent that person. And that's what's so dangerous. That's just, because then you think, well, maybe they are right about this. You know, I I can tell you right now, and I'm tempted to call his name, but when you, when you call his name, he showed the devil shows up. So I'm not going to call his name, but a gospel preacher graduate from the Memphis school of preaching got irritated at me at a post that I made about Francis Chan's book. Mm-hmm. And I called Francis Chan a false teacher. And he used the phrasing about Francis Chan concerning what I said about him. He said, what you perceive to be as a false teacher. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wait a second. Are we not on the same page? Do you yeah. not think Francis Chan is a false teacher? Yeah. So yeah. rather than going to defense for these false teachers. Absolutely. But but they're right on a few things. Okay. I hope they come to the truth. It's not that yeah. I want them to go to hell. And That's not the problem. Adolf but, Hitler you know. painted and he loved dogs. He was very kind to animals. Did you know that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
and he loved and appreciated music. V- what's his name? Wagner. Wagner. The- Wagner. Wagner. Yeah. The. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he had some good qualities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, we we've sixteen minutes into that. I'm just <laughs> all we've been doing is ranting and raving about denominational commentaries yeah, that, told, had, that it, was not my intention. Yeah, we told our comment our, our comments to be on premillennialism yeah, in the I know end it. time. I so know we'll get back to that. Yeah. So but Deuteronomy twenty eight, you was the last thing you mentioned. The first fourteen verses, yeah. blessings of obedience, fifteen through sixty eight, the curses of on disobedience, and that that had to do with them as a covenant people of God, and with and with the land. You know, and that's what you hear so often yeah. in these premillennial discussions, the land, the land, God owes them the land. Yeah. And Jason, your comments are very good. Uh, they're just, we got comments coming right and left. A pretty active audience today. I have never read a CFC commentary that taught absolutely false doctrine that would affect your soul. I'm in 100% agreement with that. Uh, they all have agreed on baptism and acapella worship, Bible only, etc. Our zeal to obey God, we form opinions. My guess is Aaron and Tony don't agree a hundred percent of minutia, but they agree on what matters. And and I will tell you, I don't. I mean, and I'm. This is in no way to to negate what you just said, Jason. What you said is perfectly fine, and it's, I agree with it a hundred percent. But now that I've just read that out loud. I don't know what I disagree with Aaron about. Yeah. I think, I think where we wouldn't line up perfectly would be in some practice and utility. Yeah. Like for instance, um, well, I mean, I, well, forget about, I'm not going to do this for instance. So I, I, I think that would be the only thing. And I'm not, again, we might find some, you know, but, um, I, both of us are so dedicated, but like the gift of the Holy Spirit, both of us believe the exact same thing on the gift of the Holy Spirit. But I guarantee you that if we, if we were assigned at a lectureship, a topic, now both of us believe on the prophetic outpouring of power, that's the gift of the Holy Spirit. And if Aaron were assigned the topic, the Holy Spirit is salvation and all his attending blessings. He could write a 10-page manuscript and pre- present that lecture and do it well and do it justice and be and, and steel man those arguments, just like I could present a lecture on the gift of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit himself, and I could present that lecture, and I could do it justice, and I could steel man that argument. And it, it's because I'm not married to my academic pursuits. And what we try our best to do is make sure that we know an academic pursuit for what it is, and and we we just don't care. Yeah, yeah. I'm just like I'm not aggravated at any of our brethren that believe different than me on that. Like I just don't. Yeah, just not an issue. Short. For, yeah, yeah. The church is too precious. I there's a few brethren here that 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 you know believe differently than I do on that, and I don't. There's yeah. some of my closest friends here. I don't what get off of it. Whatever. Yeah, exactly. It's academic. We're not talking about something that leads to you know damnation. Yeah, yeah. But again, I, I, I that is not to mitigate anything that you said, Jason. And uh, all right. 
You know what I was going to say on the outset of this whole premillennialism thing? What's that? One of the things that makes it challenging is there's like so many different theories of it. I mean, there are some reoccurring themes that are pretty common, but there's so many different. And one of my, in some of my old notes, I had written where supposedly there were like 21 different brands of premillennialism. Now I had. I bet there's more now. It probably, but you know, I, it's that's one of the things <laughs> that makes it challenging. It's like. When you start going down a path saying, well, premillennialists say the kingdom hadn't come. And then there's one guy in the back that claims to be, he goes, no, excuse I, me. I, I believe the kingdom has come. Yep. And you're like, what? So, yeah. th- that's But then they one have the- to explain it. And they explain it. And you're like, yeah, that ain't right. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's one of the problems with the, making yeah. content like this. And in general, just we're going to come up here and refute premillennialism. Right. Which flavor? I know. Which flavor? Exactly. But so I think. Going back to Deuteronomy, would you read, I don't have my Old Testament open. Would you read Deuteronomy 28, 63? Yeah, 63, he says, And it shall be that just as the Lord rejoiced over you to do you good and multiply you, so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and bring you to nothing, and you shall be plucked from off the land which you go to possess. That, That happened. Yes, it did. That happened with the captivity of Babylon, folks. Yep. So that means from Joshua 20, uh, <laughs> what yeah, I say? 21. Aaron? 21. To, thank you. 21. Yeah. Joshua from Joshua 21 or yeah, to the Babylonian captivity. All of the promises and the good from God were fulfilled. There's nothing else. Israel is not ever going to be. God's chosen people again. There's no more promised land. There's no more land of promise. There's no more good exclusively promised to the nation of Israel. Yep. Yep. Yeah, the things we've already mentioned were like two of the things on my list that I jotted down right before the show began, before we got on here together. Gotcha. No verse in its context teaches that fleshly Israel will receive any special promises when Christ returns. Aaron, do you have, do you have handy Zechariah? Is it chapter six that talks about Christ setting on the throne and yeah. being high priest at the same yeah. time? Yeah. Let's see here. What verses? Yeah. Let's see here. Zechariah six, verse 12 and 13. Then speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold, the man whose name is the branch, from his place he shall branch out, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Yes, he shall build the temple of the Lord. He shall bear the glory, and shall sit and rule on his throne. So he shall be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. Isn't that so? Yeah. Yes. So this is obviously talking about Jesus. Now, the Bible says that he's a king on the throne of David, mm-hmm. and he's a high priest on the throne of David. Yep. When? Well, at the same time. All right? So that's important. Now, premillennialists say, again, that there might be that one in the back that doesn't. Yeah, but the general gist of it is... Yes is Jesus is not sitting on the throne of David that is yet to come in the 1,000-year reign, but he is high priest now. 
The yep. problem is Zechariah has them happening simultaneously. Yep. And incidentally, after the thousand year reign, Jesus is no longer going to be in his mediate mediation position that the ironic, not the ironic, but the ironic priesthood will be reestablished for at the second coming. Yeah. Yeah. Good morning. Catching a little while in Conway. Husband had to go there to the VA. So we'll have to watch the replay. Well, good deal. And I know who that is, but I'm not going to say their name because the, the restream app doesn't give me their name. Yeah. But I'm glad that you're watching with us. And I, I, incidentally, I'm glad everybody here, if everybody could like, subscribe, share, and all that good stuff, be the algorithm for us, um, the algorithm would really take off and, and it would, it would show. Yeah. That's, that's about all I'm going to say about that. Yeah. So you got the, you got the verse in Zechariah chapter six, verse 12 and, and mm -hmm. speaking to him saying, thus speak of the Lord of hosts saying, behold, the man whose name is the branch. He shall grow up out of his place and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Even he shall build the temple of the Lord and he shall bear the glory and he shall sit and rule on his throne and he shall be a priest upon his throne and the council of peace shall be between them both. Yeah. I mean, that's hard to deny folks. You Unless know, you read the English standard version of the Bible and they change it, but yeah, we won't talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't care for that. Um, you know, one of the things we said a moment ago, there's like 21 plus brands of premillennialism. Yeah. One of the, I have a list in some previous notes, what's wrong with premillennialism. And I have a long list and I'm just glancing over that. One of the ones that I think you could state that grabs all of the theories, they believe that God still owes the physical nation of Israel something that I think that grabs. That's the big one. All that's like the big, I could go down. The kingdom is yet future. Uh, yeah, but some of them will argue out of both sides of the mouth. Yep. Uh, it's here, but it's not yet here. And Aaron, y'all believe that. You believe that. You believe the kingdom is here, but then the kingdom of heaven, the eternal phase yeah. of kingdom, which, yeah, so the I'm, Bible teaches that. Second Timothy 4, he'll deliver you to the eternal kingdom, the fa eternal phase, but not the way they say it. They're saying that the fullness yeah. of the times is not fulfilled. It's going to be fulfilled on earth, you know, kind of thing. And and if I'm if I'm hearing you correctly, the golden thread that unites all flavors of premillennialism yep. is that God still owes Jerusalem more promise and good that mm -hmm. not all was fulfilled. Yep. Yep. Then Jeremiah 21 is your one and done. Here's one of my another arguments. Jeremiah, uh, Joshua. Joshua, here's my, one of my responses to that as well. My, one of my arguments I listed before the show. All the return home promises to Israel were fulfilled when they came home from Babylonian captivity. Yes. There are no unfulfilled gathering home prophecies. None of them. Right. Just like the Valley of Dry Bones. Boy, the premillennials love that. You know, Ezekiel yeah, 37 do. and these other, those have been fulfilled. So let me share with you, and I, I should have, I, I should have got this for the show, but I can't figure out exactly how to do it now. This is a quote from C. H. Spurgeon, eighteen fifty-five. Mm -hmm. And let me just clarify: you're not reading this to learn something. No, I'm not reading you're, this to learn something. <laughs> this to help is you understand meme. a certain verse. You're you're reading this to identify what a false teacher says. Yeah, this is this is a meme. <laughs> Go ahead. I just. 
I shouldn't have said that. I it is certain cheap. that the Jews as a people will yet own Jesus of Nazareth, the son of David, as their king, and that they will return to their own land, and they shall build the old waste. They shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the old cities, the desolations of many generations. Well, that no, they will not. Yeah. It is it is absolutely certain they will not, no. because all of those things were fulfilled in yeah. the return from captivity of the twelve count them yep. twelve tribes of. Israel. And incidentally, if you're wondering why we get 12 and not, well, what about those lost tribes and this, that, and the other? Go to Nehemiah and Ezra, specifically Ezra, and read whenever they're doing all of the sacrifices at the consecration of the temple. How many sacrifices were there? There were 12. Mm -hmm. People from each tribe were represented. Yeah. Premillennialism returns back to the shadow and leaves the substance. Why go back to the law that does not include the Gentiles, whereas the new and better includes the Gentiles? I mean, that's a perfectly fine yep. uh, thing to ask. Yep. You know, I, I would say though that that the the law of Moses uh, did include the Gentiles. That there were not two laws running simultaneously to the cross. Um, you have to, you have to look at the definition of amenable and under the Gentiles were not under, uh, the law as in they were not under, uh, covenant. Yeah. Just like the dude you pay your money to at the gas station. Who's not a Christian is not under the law of Christ. Yeah. He's amenable to the law of Christ. The yeah. Gentiles were amenable to the law of Moses. Is uh is Ezra eight thirty five? I think one of the passages that would that, that you'd be referencing, and this is under in my Bible I have those topical headings. This is under the return to Jerusalem. Verse thirty five yeah. says, "The children of those who had been carried away captive, who had come from the captivity, offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel, twelve bulls for all Israel, ninety six rams, seventy seven lambs, and twelve male goats as a sin offering." All this was a burnt offering. I think that's one of the passages. Probably that's more one than of them, that. But, but twelve. Yeah. Yep. Why was it twelve? Because yep. all twelve tribes are represented. Yep. They all came back. Now it was a right. It was a remnant. Mm -hmm. They were a shadow of them for of their yeah, former they were, they were smaller for sure. Yeah. It was but, a stump. <laughs> yeah. It was a stump. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So let, let's 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 run through some of these really quick. Um, unity of resurrection and justice. Justice. That that is not what I wrote down. Judgment. Yeah. I was thinking about Deuteronomy 2863. Yeah. God's justice. justice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> God is just as happy and enjoyed. Yeah. And his justice is satisfied at the punishment of the wicked and the reward of the righteous. Yeah. Folks, we need Jesus. Yeah. Because God's justice is just as satisfied at the reward of the righteous yeah. or the punishment of the wicked. Yeah. 
We need Jesus. We need an advocate. We need a lawyer. That's why Jesus is God's unspeakable gift. (laughs) You got it. You got it. All right. Resurrection and judgment. There's a unity of resurrection and judgment. Scripture emphasizes a singular resurrection and judgment for all. John 5, 28 through 29. Marvel not at it, for the hour is coming in which all, count them all, that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth they that have done good under the resurrection of life, they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. And that ties right in with 1 Thessalonians 4. I would not have you to be ignorant. You're going to hear a trumpet. The dead in Christ are going to rise first. We are going to meet him in the air together and there forever remain with him. All of it's going to happen on the same day, folks. Same hour. And again, I'm the same hour. Does that literally mean the same 60 minute period? As far as I know, it does. <laughs> I would say that it's probably because usually if, if, um, usually whenever we use a word like hour, when we're not using it literal, we allow for a longer expanse. However, in this case, marvel not at it for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and they shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. I believe that if we were sidelined spectators on that day, that we probably, so those, those that are dead in Christ are going to rise first and start the journey to the clouds. And then those who are alive will be caught up. They're probably not going to be separated, but maybe a few nanoseconds. Yeah. So to the outside observer, it may appear to be instantaneous. I don't know that. I don't care. I'm not going to hold tight to that. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is you cannot have the damnation and righteous resurrection of the dead a thousand years apart. Yep. Yep. Like All of it's going to happen the same day. Like we've said, though, about the, oh, yeah, you're talking about the resurrection. Yeah, there's yep. one, and that's. There's there's one resurrection. Oh the oh the goop, goop is it goo or goop? Not goo, <laughs> the denominational goo of their explanations of John oh, yeah. five. Oh the the hermeneutical hoops they jump through through it's which a, they jump. Oh my, it's I, I've read some of the leading ones. It is a hey, this says one hour. This this says you know one, but it Jesus generally Jesus is speaking, and I'm looking at one. It's clear that Jesus speaks generally about resurrection, but not about one. Right. You know. And now I like this one. Jesus established his kingdom during the time in which he was on earth. So Christ's reign is must be present. And Colossians 1.13, just the grammar. This is Paul writing who hath delivered us, that's past tense, from the power of darkness, and hath translated us, past tense, into the kingdom of God's dear son, or his dear son. It's got to be, it's got to already have happened. The the time in which Paul was writing, the kingdom was was extant. Yeah, Colossians was probably right around AD 62, 63, AD 62. 
It was already. That's it. They were a part of it then. That's it. I've got a number next. The Binding of Satan. This is an interesting one. The premillennialists say that in the millennium, the thousand-year reign, that Satan will be bound. Well, there's just one problem. He's already bound now. Matthew 12, 28 and 29. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is coming to you. Or else, how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house? If you go read the book of Revelation about the devil, that serpent being bound and all that, he's bound now. And people say, well, if he's bound now, he, you know, he's, he certainly has a lot of influence still. Yeah. If you get into his domain, yeah, you take a rabid lion and bind it yeah. in a cage. That lion cannot harm you. Yeah. If you don't get into the cage, that's what, that's exactly what they've done at the zoos. They're tamed, yes. they're controlled and yes. they won't touch you. You know, we go to the Memphis zoo from time to time with the, with yeah. the girls. They won't touch you. They yep. won't bother you if you stay out of their cage. They but can't. if you get in their cage, they're going to get you. That's it. Same way with Satan. Yeah. The last trumpet. The resurrection and transformation of believers happens at the last trumpet, which contradicts this secret rapture or yep. multiple resurrections. 1 Corinthians 5, 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound. And the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Love it. Yep. First Corinthians 15 is an ungetoverable order sequence of events. I mean, it, it is the proverbial thorn in the side, it, in the it, flesh it of is. the premillennialists. After those who are Christ that is coming, then comes the end. When he delivers the, the kingdom to God. I mean, that's... <laughs> I, I try to get people to pay attention. Look at your adverbs of time. Mm -hmm. Learn to recognize an adverb, yep. and it will tell you when, where, why, and how the action is performed. Yeah, absolutely. When, where, why, and how the action is performed. And Paul... now. Other other writers' writings may not be that clear. Paul loves writing like that. Mm -hmm. Here's a universal truth. Here's a proposition based on it. And here's who, where, when, why, and how it applies to. Yeah. So the next one, Aaron, is a little bit more abstract. I want to talk a little bit about. Go ahead. Uh, the everlasting kingdom. All right. Now, this ties into 1 Corinthians 15. So you may find that passage about where it it. <laughs> Paul writes that Jesus will lay down his reign. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I got it. All right. So Jesus' reign is everlasting and does not end after a thousand years. I did not write this. This is, I, I, I was curious to see what a millennialist around the world taught and how they would argue against premillennialism. This is one of their arguments. I'm like, well, wait a second. Christ's reign, Jesus' reign has to end because 1 Corinthians 15, yeah. well, let me, let me throw something at you. The consummation of the kingdom at Christ's return, 
at Christ's return, he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, suggesting his reign has been ongoing. First uh, Corinthians fifteen twenty four, which you've got that. Then cometh the the end. So, but he delivers it back. He's going to put down all rule and all authority. Yeah. So this ties into Christ's reign as a mediator will end when he has subdued all his enemies, indicating a present ongoing reign. So I don't know. I think I think maybe that the everlasting kingdom rebuttal here just might make an overlapping uh an overlapping an over over application is what over, I was trying to say. Yeah, overreaching over Yeah. So Jesus's reign is everlasting. But I think it does end after a thousand years. Not a thousand literal years. No, yeah. But at the completion of the allotted time, Christ is going to here's your throne back, yeah. God. Well, obviously the allotted time is the resurrection because it says in First Corinthians 15, uh, for he must, that's a word of explanation. Yeah. He must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. We know where that logically where that follows death will be destroyed in the resurrection. Yes. Physical resurrection. The, uh, for he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is expected. Now, when all things are made subject to him, then the son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Yeah, God, in other words, God the Father is going to be back. Yeah. In yeah. in authority. All authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth. Yeah. But at the second coming, I'm going to give it back to God. That's, yeah. I think that's ungetoverable. Yeah, he's going but, to reign till a certain point in time, yeah. till the resurrection. Genesis 49.10. Yeah, yeah. The scepter shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh come. And to him shall, shall be, the, be the gathering of the, of the people. people. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Shiloh means peace. Yeah. One who well, when, when, peace. when do you achieve peace? When the last enemy is defeated. I believe that's a prophecy about the second coming, Aaron. Maybe so. Yeah. I, I believe that heard, all, yeah. all the way back. Now, obviously, yeah. the scepter shall not, the, the, the implication here there is for God's chosen people, when they have a ruling tribe, mm-hmm. it, the scepter, the, the rulers are going to come from Judah. Judah. Yeah. But the implication is that the scepter will not depart from Judah. Meaning when the Messiah comes, he's going to be of the tribe of Judah. Yeah, that's what I've always kind of saw it as more like it would not. But when will the yeah. scepter, which is, a, which, is a, which is a sign of authority, of ruling authority, when will the scepter depart from Judah? Yeah. Well, when Shiloh comes. Yeah. Which is a way of saying when peace is achieved. Yeah. And 1 <laughs> Corinthians 15, when, when, the, when the last enemy is defeated. Yeah, on that point, you're looking at the tail end of it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You're at the- First Corinthians 15 part of it. Uh, Daniel 7, 14. And there was given him dominion and glory in a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom shall not be destroyed. So, yeah, the, the implication is we are in, a, in the kingdom now. Yeah. You got anything? No, I was just looking at a note I had on that passage, Daniel 7, 
Jesus received his kingdom at his ascension, not his return. Yeah. They say his coming is before the millennium. Check this out. I got a sermon that I preach sometime. Uh, Oh, I think I know what it is. I remember you mentioning this. Yep. Yep. Follow the cloud. Follow the cloud. Yeah, I love that. So you go to Acts chapter one. (laughs) Yeah. And Jesus, the, the, the angel says, how come you're standing there with your dumb mouths open? He left. He's going to come back the same way. Well, there was a cloud mm-hmm. in Acts chapter one. The next time you pick up the cloud is is in Daniel chapter seven, verse thirteen. And I saw one in the night visions. Behold, one like the Son of Man came before the ancient of or came with the clouds, and they brought him before the ancient of days. And then, of course, we just read verse fourteen. So Jesus was received up out of sight of man. And we know where he went. He went before the Ancient of Days. And then when you go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, you can comfort one another with these words. He's going to return with that cloud. Yeah. And we're all going to meet him in that cloud and there forever remain with him there. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good sermon. Yeah. Amen. Follow the cloud. I like that. (laughs) Yeah. Follow the cloud. So, yeah. Simple yet profound. The nature of Christ's kingdom. The nature of Christ's kingdom is spiritual rather than political or earthly. John mm-hmm. eighteen thirty six. Jesus answered, "My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this yeah. world, then would my sermon, my sermons, then would my servants <laughs> fight that I should not be delivered to the <laughs> Jews? But now is my kingdom not from hence." Yeah, and I think, but now meaning implying that it was from hence. Yeah, but now it's different. And then, of course, all authority is given to Jesus now. Matthew 28, 18, and Jesus came and spake to them, saying, all power or authority is given to me in heaven and in earth. Jesus has already been given all the authority. What yeah. more authority will he be given in the quote-unquote millennial, so-called? Right. That, that, yeah, I, in my notes, what will not happen at the end of time, we've already talked about the first one, God will not give Israel any land. Right. The second one ties into what you're saying. Christ will not establish an earthly kingdom. And what yeah. you just say about Christ, you said yeah. he, he's already has all authority. Yeah, he already has he all would authority. not have to. Let, let's say, okay, let's take the position that I used to take in my youth when I didn't like to, when I, when I didn't know enough really to argue about these things. Well, so what if you think, if somebody thinks Jesus is going to come back and reign a thousand years on earth? Are you going to tell him he can't if he does? Okay, I get that. Like, yeah, you're right. I, I'm not. But I, I do know what the Bible says. Yeah. And it is hyper foolish to think. So, so for a moment, right, let, me, let me switch gears. I've gone down the wrong path. Let's concede. Let, for a moment, if you will, let's pretend like there's an explicit statement that says Jesus is going to reign on the throne of David in Jerusalem for 1000 for 1000 years yeah regardless of any other interpretation of any other scriptures and 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 we have that explicit statement that's inspired by God okay yeah grammatically syntactically you would not say he's establishing the kingdom. 
because the kingdom is already established because all authority has been given unto him in heaven and in earth. He's already sitting on the throne of David. You, you can have him if you, if you want. You can have him come back and reign a thousand years if that's what you want. Yeah. But he's not establishing it. He's not starting it. Yeah. It's. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, because yeah, because he has all authority. That is the kingdom, his authority, his yes. reign. Yeah. That's the idea of the kingdom is God's reign. Um, that's why I like to take note of all the passages through the Old Testament. When you look at and 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 then when you through the Old Testament, God God was reigning. But when you get to like Jesus' ministry, he's speaking of a certain change in that reign of God, you know, like, yeah. like the kingdom is, con- it's, it, it, there, there, some of you will not die till they see the kingdom of God, you know, present Come with power. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's talking about the kingdom of Christ. He's yes. not saying God has never reigned until Acts chapter two. No, <laughs> God always reigned. He reigned before the world began. He reigned in the garden. He reigned after the garden. He reigned. He's always reigned. He's always been, he's always had authority. He's always had a rule. But then that's why I love to think of the church, and this is $5 words, but maybe $3 words, maybe. I love to look think of the church as that's the messianic phase of God's kingdom. Yeah. Yeah. And today, to be saved, you got to be under God's rule. You can't be disobedient to him. You have to be obedient to him. And when you obey God, you're under his rule. That means you're added to the church, you know. So the messianic phase of God's kingdom. There, there, there's an eternal phase of God's yes. kingdom where when life is over here, we will dwell with God forever. In person, we should I might add, you know. Absolutely. Not where he's in one domain and we're in another domain type thing. No. Yes. Together in the same domain. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and some, John, John asked, where did they get this nonsense from in the first place? That You can trace it back. I mean, it, 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 it develops over time. Um, preeminent, pre, preeminent people get a bright idea and they don't have anybody around them that's brave enough to tell them they're stupid. So doctrines like this stick. Yeah. Right, I'm going to read you two verses, Aaron. I think it was um, after the so-called church fathers that it popped up. If I recall correctly from Todd, my studies in school, it was even after them. Now the yeah. premillennial people claim it was you know, G and the, G and the apostles and the church. Well, of course fathers. they do. They have to. They have but to. But Todd Clifford's yeah. got some pretty good information on that that I know of. Um, then and he he would be able to. I, I almost invited him on the show today, but it would have been less than twenty four hour notice, yeah. and I didn't want to put him in a position to have to say no. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm going to read you these two verses. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go into perfection, not laying again the foundation of. Now, this is the part I want you to pay attention to. Repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Okay? Now, um, oh, no. Testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you see the difference in those two verses? Yeah. One's in Hebrews, and I think people who interpret Hebrews chapter 5 and 6 as, um, or chapter, uh, yeah, chapter, the end of chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6 as, 
well, we really need to be teaching the deep things of God because that's meaty and the simple things, the first principles like hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. We need to lay aside the teaching of that and go on to the deeper things. Wrong. That is not what that verse is teaching. The first principles of the doctrine of Christ. That's the old covenant. That's the old covenant. That goes all the way back to Genesis. Yeah. In the old covenant, there was laying on again, laying on hands, and there was repentance from dead works, and there was faith toward God. But when the gospel preachers came along, what they taught, and they taught it to the Jews and also to the Greeks, they taught repentance toward God and faith toward Jesus. It's different than what the Hebrews writer was speaking of. It is significantly different. And I'm not talking about significant as in orders of magnitude and degree. I am talking about it is subtly different in a significant way. Yeah. Because we are under the Messiah, who is the high priest of the tribe of Judah, a tribe about which the priesthood Moses spake nothing. So if he were a priest, if he were a high priest, he could not be a high priest on earth. It is significantly different. Yeah. Because that says that we are having our high priest and our king both on yeah, the, the throne. Yeah, the idea of Hebrews 6.1 leaving the discussion, that, that's like abandon, like move, quit going I, back I to know, it. I yeah. know. Quit, quit going back to water baptism in the name of Christ for the forgiveness yeah. of sins. No, that's the, found, that's the foundation I when I became a Christian. But anyhow, yeah. Yeah, and 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 even Hebrews six one wouldn't mean don't read the Old Testament. It would Correct. Mean you don't hold on to it anymore. You don't go back yeah. to it. That's what they were doing. Yeah, but but for the time you ought to be teachers, you need some folks to teach you again. Yeah. You have you have reverted back to milk as adults. Yeah. You're sick. You're not you're not you're not being sustained with that which will sustain you long term. You need to leave all of those doctrines from the old covenant and let's go forward yeah. to the new covenant. Yeah. That's yeah. what that's saying. Yeah. I even heard a person on the other side, you know, trying to rebut that idea by, by which I just rebutted by them yeah. saying, well, if that means to leave, that means we leave the old Testament, throw the whole Old Testament away. And no, because that that's not, it's not saying don't read and learn the old Testament. Saying you don't hold on to it, you don't live by it. it. You're not amenable it. to it. That's what they were doing, and that's why they were in sin. Um, hold on a second. I'm getting my little. You see his Bible here. Mm-hmm. This is a King James New Testament with Psalms. See how thin it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that bigger Cambridge you got. I think. Well, it's not a Cambridge. Oh, okay. I wish ah. I had one of those Cambridges. I thought you had I, one of those larger, thin Cambridge. I, I bought one about, well, I bought one back whenever we were in school, and I gave it away as a gift ah. to one of one of my contemporaries. Ah. I paid like 400 bucks for it. <laughs> it was crazy. But I felt like he deserved it. Um, Because he really wanted one, and I knew he'd never be able to get one for himself. Yeah. 
Uh, so, I mean, I don't mean that insultingly. I yeah. mean, I don't yeah, think he would ever get one. Yeah. Because you know, he, he he could well afford it. I just don't think he would ever do it. Yeah. But this is an iron Spottish wood. Yeah. Yeah. I'm but sure anyway, yeah. The whenever I I was I showed the people at Riverview this, they were very very surprised, and a couple of them commented on how how little it is. I'm like, yeah. I said, but look how big the print is. You know. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. You know, the print's just fine. Yeah, easy to read. And, yeah. and I was like, so do you see then how little you have to actually know to go to heaven? <laughs> yeah, the new covenant. Boy, it's summarized compared to the Old Testament, ain't it? <laughs> yeah, abbreviated. And, and here's the thing. I'm not saying we should eschew teaching from the Old Testament. But if this is all you ever had and all you ever knew, you could spend eternity with God and Jesus. Yeah. But if all you ever knew is the old, you could. You could not. You could. Yeah. All right. It's true. One coming of the Lord. One yep. coming of the Lord. Yep. The New Testament speaks of a singular return of Christ, not multiple phases. Yeah. Hebrews 9, 28. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. <laughs> what do you say, man? Yeah, and tying in with that, you know, he's already dealt with salvation. The here and now salvation is available. In Romans eleven twenty six, Paul said that the Jews are to be saved the same way as the Gentiles. And, yeah, yeah. And, and so all Israel will be saved the same way. That's an adverb of manner. Yeah. You know, that's... And as, as Todd put on his timeline, if all Israel... Hold on a second. If you're going to find it real quick. I'm going to find it because I, I don't want to... Yeah. yeah, mess it up. It was so good. Yeah. <laughs> if all Israel are going to be saved then faith in Jesus Christ is not a requisite of salvation. You can't have it both ways. Yeah. If all, and well, now, they, they just argue that, oh, well, they will come to faith in Christ. That's what they argue. I guess. The, right? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I don't know. I don't know how they'd argue, to be honest with you. I think some premillennialists claim that they will come to faith in Christ. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. I think you're right. Todd, Todd got a little frustrated. Sometimes I feel like I belong to the fellowship of non sequiturs. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, let me get let me get Diana's comment. Go ahead. I'm not sure if the entire Robertson family of Duck Dynasty fame believe this, but Willie Robertson came out with a movie a few years ago about the rapture. While I appreciate that they teach baptism is for the remission of sins and get other things right, it bothers me greatly that some teach incorrectly. Uh, rapture, dancing, immodesty. Sadie preaches to a mixed audience and in churches with instrumental music, etc. Mm -hmm. it, it's upsetting that they call themselves members of the Church of Christ. I don't think they call themselves members of the Church of Christ anymore. I think the old man might, but I think they, like a lot of other, congregations have left so far off base that they say something like, well, we're a congregation of people that have 
roots deep in the Campbell Stone heritage. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of thought. <clears throat> you know that that congregation in Louisiana that that they've been a part of, they haven't they haven't hung a shingle that says Church of Christ on their doors for some time now, I think. Along the along the lines of um along the lines of what we said, like things come out, you know, now that people have been attacking talk about in the news, people have been physically attacking, you know, the bombing Jerusalem or whatever yeah. it is, stuff like that. I have seen some members now you've already we've already said this and but I'm just adding to it that some members that surprised me that were sharing things about the 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 so-called rapture. They were saying they were they were saying these are members of the church that are saying this. They're share, and it shocked me. And I thought I'm going to do a podcast on that soon. But they were sharing things like, "Hey, you know, this is what we're expected to happen because after all, the ra- the rapture's got to happen." And I was like, "My oh my, I can't believe that." But what, like you just said, repeat what you this point you said. Basically, the Bible doesn't teach the rapture. Is that what you included in this point? Didn't you? Yes. Yeah. Um, now, now you got me on the spot. I can't remember what I yeah. said, Aaron. Yeah. Well, what was what the last point? What was the last point that you just read Hold that you had written down ahead of time? Um, Maybe I'm twixting two things. The, the New Testament speaks of a singular yeah. return. Yeah. Not multiple phases. So Christ yeah. was once suffered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that looked to Him. Shall he appear a second time without sin unto salvation? Yeah, doesn't the rapture theory then would teach multiple comings? That he's yes. going to come to secretly take his faithful people, but then he'll come again to reign on earth. And and, and Antichrist is going to is going to dupe a bunch of people. Like it, it's a mess, man. I know since you mentioned that, that so was there's my... post trib, pre trib, a trib. Yeah. Millennia, you know, I mean, it's just a mess. Yeah, they they're dead set that this great t- period of time is going to be terrible and hellacious. It's either it's the tribulation is going to either happen, uh, the resurrection rather is either going to happen before that happens or mid tribulation during the tribulation people will be ready or after. And there's like different groups that believe different things. Yep. They're all divided up, even their own fellowships. You know. Oh, it's a mess. Uh, yeah. Dana Harden says, so they aren't with the White's Ferry Road congregation. This congregation's website seems to teach correctly. Uh, they are with the White. Now, if you find a website that says White's Ferry Road Church of Christ, I do not believe that is the same White's Ferry that the Duck Dynasty folks are part of. Um, because as John Exum said, they've dropped their name. They've dropped their, they've dropped the of Christ moniker. Um, I, I, and I only remember this because I'm a contrarian by nature and everybody was loving duck dynasty. And I'm like, I don't like it. Well, why not? It's really cool. They're like, no, no, you don't understand. I like it because it reminds me of home, but y'all like it because you think you have representation on national television. Uh-huh. You don't yeah. have representation. These people are not Christians. Yeah. Right. They are, they are part of Chris and dumb. Yeah. But they are not Christians, as the New Testament counts them. At least, again, there's some nuance to that. But well, just yeah, like, they're just not like John, in fellowship. Yeah, just like John says, they don't have of Christ. Their website is just wfrchurch.com.org. Yeah. I'm looking at it now. So, yeah. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. All right. Anyhow. And, of course, the, the last one I've got 
the uh, the duration of Christ's mediatorial reign. So Christ's reign as a mediator will end. We, we, we won't need a mediator anymore. It's going to end when he has subdued all his enemies. And the last one is death, which he kind of has death subdued now. It's, death is just on barred time. Yeah. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 25, 26, where he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. Yeah. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. So death hasn't been destroyed yet. Yeah. But it will be. Yeah. You could say it's been put in its place or it's been given its time. Uh, it's, um, limitations or something, but it hadn't been yeah. destroyed. So let me, let me read you this. It may, this may open up a little bit. This is some information I got on the web about. So basically, um, I wanted some more explanation about that mediatorial reign and this, that, and the other. So the everlasting kingdom argument is rooted in the understanding that Jesus's kingship is eternal, not limited to a specific time frame like a thousand years. Here's a more in-depth exploration. Um, the nature of Jesus' kingdom. Scripture portrays Jesus' kingship as universal and eternal. I don't know that it does, though. It's not temporary or merely earthly. I do, I do believe it is temporary. It, it's till Shiloh come. So the passage from Daniel is a prophetic vision emphasizing an everlasting nature of the, of the dominion given to the Son of Man, a title Jesus often used for himself. Now, But to contrast this idea of premillennialism, the doctrine of premillennialism posits that Jesus will return to establish a literal physical kingdom on earth that will last for a thousand years as this millennium, after this millennium rather, there will be a final rebellion and judgment. <laughs> um, uh oh, I lost my place. The everlasting kingdom argument challenges this view, positing that Jesus' kingdom is not bound by a thousand year time frame, which if that's the case, then I get it. Yeah. It's everlasting. In other words, there's no, isn't time is not running out. Yeah. So it could be a thousand year reign. It could be a million year reign or it could yeah. be a 10 year reign. It's just yeah. when God decides, mm -hmm. I'm glad we talked through this. I think I get what they're saying now. Yeah. When they're, I'm, whenever they say everlasting, I think everlasting is in, it has no end whatsoever. Not no, saying, there is an yeah. end. Yeah. And the, not the saying Bible, that Jesus' kingdom was established before, you know, yeah. Acts 2 or anything like that. Yeah. yeah. So other script, this, the broader biblical narrative, um, <clears throat> other scriptures also emphasize the eternal nature of, of Jesus' reign. For example, Revelation eleven fifteen, the kingdom, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Well, that's just a, 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 a set period of time. In other words, the, the, the Sabbath was given between God and his children, Israel, forever. Well, what that means is as long as God sees fit for it to remain, and we know that it was cut off. Forever in their generations type thing. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So I get that. I, I'm, I'm okay. I'm glad we talked through that. Yeah. I'll do, do, what? Oh, go ahead. I, I've got a few things that we hadn't mentioned that I'll add to that, and it yeah. just and it. I want to talk about Jeconiah's curse before we get off the get okay. off the phone, get okay. off the live stream. Okay. The one main thing I was thinking about was the Book of Revelation. Like it's just yeah. 
the book of Revelation is so hijacked by modern, you know, exegetes. They're not, they're not dealing with the time signatures of the book. You know, it's near, no. it's near, it's about to come to pass. I'm coming quickly. And that's the same way with, if you notice most of all these teachings that, that, uh, that, that quote, or excuse me, most of the premillennial teaching quotes passages and references passages from the book of Revelation. It's like, leave the book of Revelation alone. Leave it in its context. The whole bit about the thousand-year reign, even, even some good brethren that I would disagree with on, you know, and that might be something we'd disagree on, but it wouldn't be very deep. It would be, you know, maybe the, you know, is a thousand years something we're in now or is it not? I just think it's a figure. I think it's a figure for completeness. Yeah. I'm thinking the more yeah. I study on it, I'm thinking maybe we're pressing it too hard when we try to find an exact beginning and exact end, maybe. Because well, I think the find, idea is just the victory, the victory yeah. of Christ, you know, well, and in the context over yeah. Domitian and Rome. Yeah. Well, you can you find know. the exact beginning. It's when Christ sat down at the right hand of the yeah. majesty on high. Yeah. What's the exact end? First yeah. Corinthians 15. Yeah. Yeah. How long is that? Obviously, obviously, it's longer than a thousand years. Yeah, we've been on Earth for two thousand years since. So, is Christ not still reigning? Yes, He is. Right. So, is it literally a thousand? Well, obviously, no, could, it's not. Could it's be a ten figure. million. Yeah, it's a figure for completeness. You know, uh, and that's that's the thing. I think all all the thing about the Book of Revelation, I think, is overlooked. Is it it all regards Rome and Domitian and the persecution of the end of the first century? I'm, you know? I'm more convinced now than ever have been that revelation is speaking of Rome. Yeah. Yeah. And I too. still believe the age of miracles ended in AD 70. Yeah. Abruptly. I'm I do very, not believe I'm very open-minded to it. I'm not completely yeah. sold on it, but I, th I mean, yeah. I think it's definitely going to happen. I, yeah. I do. I, um, at this point, I feel like maybe there's not quite enough information that's convincing me, you know, yeah. that it is. Check this out. This, this is an example of the hijacking of the book of revelation. The 144,000, well, you know what the Jehovah's Witnesses have, have, have had to done with that. Mm -hmm. Well, used to, the Jehovah's Witnesses said there's only going to be 144,000 righteous people. Yeah. Really? Well, how many Jehovah's Witnesses are on your rolls? <laughs> yeah. Who gets in? Well, the original members get in. Wow. Lucky them. So, so the original <laughs> members going to go to heaven. Or whatever, you know. It's like, and, hey, and, the, <laughs> and, the, and the leftover righteous are going to be on the heaven on earth. Yeah. So they've had to change their doctrine. Yeah. But listen yeah. to this. And I look and lo, a lamb stood on the mount. Stood on the Mount Sion. Sorry, I can't see very well. And with him, 144,000 having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters and the voice of great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers tarping with their harps. Now, that's the funny. He heard the voice of harpers harp. This is symbolic. <laughs> yeah, very <laughs> <All> figurative. <right. laughs> and they yep. sung, as it were, a new song with their harps. Harping with their harps? Anyway. And they sung, as it were, a new song <laughs> before the throne and before the four beasts. And the elders and no man could learn that song, but the 144,000, which were redeemed from the earth. So right there, 144,000. I really hope that's you and me. Yeah, for real. Uh-oh. It can't be. You've had a child, right? Yep. 
that means you've done the things that it takes to have children. Yep. I have two. Yep. We're out. These were they which were not <laughs> defiled with women. Well, wait a second. I, marriage is honorable and all in the bed undefiled. I haven't laid with a whore, neither of you. Right. So I can still be part of the 144,000. Uh-oh. For they were virgins. Uh-oh. That keeps everybody out that's ever had <laughs> sex. Oh, man. Woo. You think it might be. You think, there's a, you think there's 144,000 people? I bet there's not 144,000 people that's lived on the earth that's never had sex. That's my opinion. In the history of the world? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Probably not. God knows, but yeah, I believe it's figurative. <laughs> oh, crazy, man. You know, here, and you've heard this before. You've probably preached this before, but here's some things I jotted down on Revelation as well. Like Revelation 20. Again, it has to be interpreted in light of the context. Revelation 20 is, you know, the, the whole, to be consistent here, what we're looking at is details about the fall of Rome and like God punishing Domitian for, for hurting God's people. Yeah. So many exegetes, including good people in the church. That, and I don't, by the way, let me be clear. I don't think this is a fellowship matter, a fellowship right. issue. I think it's an academic thing. But I think even good brethren, they get mixed up because they forget the context. And they're, they're convinced that the figurative language about judgment is talking about judgment on the whole world. It's got to be. It's got to be. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I personally, I can't buy that. When I see the time signatures in chapter 1 and in chapter 22, and he says all of this is about to take place shortly, I can't say that chapter 20 is talking about the end time judgment. I, I can't. Because if it is, it's already happened. See, that, that's the thing. Revelation 22, verse 6 is the time signature at the end of the book. It's the things which must shortly take place. Verse 10, the time is at hand. Verse 7, I'm coming quickly. Don't seal up the words of this book. It's about to happen. So if that includes everything from 1-1 through, you know, 22, I just, I really, I can't, I can't buy the, I, I used to. I used to believe that Revelation 20 Included the end time judgment. We know, like the, I can't buy that anymore because this, this. Honestly, is, I, I don't think there's anything in the Book of Revelation that's about the second coming. I, I don't either, Tony. I don't either. I don't anymore. I don't think. I, I don't think to, there's anything in there about I heaven think, and eternity. I, I, I don't. Either. God shall wipe away all tears when we get to heaven, and we're not gonna. No, that's. It, it was, I know. And, was and written to the people of the day. I've said that to people and tried to explain that because of the way it, the time signatures of the book, and I've said it's got to be that way. And they, and they say, so you think there'll be tears in heaven? I said, no, there won't be tears in heaven. I don't have to have, but I don't have to have Revelation 24 to know there won't be tears in heaven. Right. I, I know there won't be tears in heaven because God's there. <laughs> you know, I know. Here's the thing, real fast. You've heard this before. The old gospel preachers used to preach it, but it's so needed. Revelation 20, that's the sugar stick. That's the bedrock of the premillennial doctrine. Here's seven things not even mentioned there. Number one, the second coming. Right. But Hebrews 9.28 mentions the second coming. It literally says a second time. He will come a second time. But this is not about the second coming, the bodily coming of Jesus. Number two, bodily resurrection is not mentioned in Revelation 20. Number three, a reign on earth. But I can't tell you how many times I've seen a study Bible and they were explaining their doctrine. They said, 
there'll be a reign on earth. Revelation 20. That's it. Revelation, but it but it doesn't say that he'll reign on earth. I know. And and yeah. Number number that, four, literal that, throne. That, that language from Revelation yep. 20 about the reigning and stuff like that. Yep. And the second death and all this, that, and the other. Yep. That is appropriated apocalyptic language yep. from the end of Daniel 12. Yep. That doesn't mean it applies to the same thing. It's appropriated. Anyway, go it ahead, is. brother. Sorry. It is. It is. It's appropriated and, and it's applied to the end of the first century in Domitian and Rome persecuted. I wanna church. I wanna after you get through with this list, yep. I wanna give Terry Crooks right. question some some loving. Okay. And number four. Hey, wait a, a second. Hold on, hold on. It's a, we woke up this morning, we was out of sugar. So I took Dan I took Dan. <laughs> I took who is Dan? I took Anthony to work. Yeah, and I come back and stop by the grocery store, and I got some odds and ends. I got some sugar, and Labeth was like, "Hey, I'm I'm sorry we didn't have any sugar this morning," and I said, "Ah, don't worry, I got some sugar from the lady at the grocery store." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what? All right, I, I I blessed you plebes with my humor for the day. So go ahead, Aaron. <laughs> uh, number four, another thing not mentioned in Revelation twenty is a literal throne of David. That's it. Yet they'll say, well, Revelation is talking about Jesus coming back. He'll reign on the earth in David's throne. And no. And incidentally, about the reigning on David's throne, Peter said in AD 30 that Jesus was in heaven on David's throne. That's Acts 2 30 and 33. That's what he said. He's there. Yep. He's there now. Number five, not earth, not Jerusalem. Number five, right. neither Jerusalem nor Palestine are mentioned. I know, but, but but that's inserted into eisegesis. It's inserted in there. Oh yeah, it's just talking about Jerusalem at the end of time. It doesn't say that. Number six. Here's a big one. One of the things not mentioned in that, in Revelation twenty, us, us today. There's nothing in Revelation twenty about people living on Earth today in the modern era, and the events of Revelation twenty. <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> and finally, number seven, Christ on Earth. Yeah, we'll say it. Jesus come back to earth. He's gonna come back to earth, and he's gonna run. It doesn't mention him coming to earth, but what it does mention is souls that were beheaded, that picked up the reign with Christ, and they were glorified because they suffered martyrdom for the Lord's sake in the first yeah. century, no doubt. Oh yeah. But anyhow, that's so, just eisegesis one hundred and one. Is, well, is Tom Holland? I love. I wish I had that. I wish I had Tom Holland's commentary on Revelation. Not because I think that Brother Holland is a great theological, eschatological authority. Mm-hmm. I just like the way he, he, he went at the book. Mm-hmm. Is it, why do we study this book in any other way yeah. than we would any epistle? It tells you up front, it is an epistle. Yeah. It, it follows all the rules of an epistle. Why do we interpret it differently than any epistle? Yeah. Because it's fun for people. To do. All right. Yeah. Where is this verse I want to get? We're going to talk about Jeconiah. Yes, but I'm going to start. I'm going to read 13 through 18 of 1 Thessalonians 4 to, to follow what you just did. Yeah. But I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others. <laughs> yeah, I got bigger font this time, Aaron. I had to work on it. Yeah. Good deal. Uh, considering others which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if you or if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, 
that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep or go before. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up in the cloud, shall be caught up together, rather, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so, meaning in this manner, shall we ever be with the Lord. Folks, we ain't coming back down to this earth. Yeah. We yeah. are meeting him in the air. Jesus is not coming back down to this earth. Yeah. There is no passage of scripture that you can put and read anything into it in the Bible or, or you, that you can get anything out of it unless you're reading into it that puts Jesus and us coming back down to earth. Tony, the only other thing I have or this earth, I'll, I'll concede and say, yeah, I'll, I'll, um, I agree with that. I'll, uh, the only other thing I was going to say, and I'm just, it won't take me just 30 no, seconds. Go ahead. The Old Testament is butchered by premillennialists. Badly. And, and, but Charles and, Spurgeon. Yeah. And the thing of it is, is they try to literalize certain prophecies when obviously the prophets are speaking like in figures and painting portraits, you know, of things to come. Like Ezekiel mentions. Uh, David will be their shepherd. Well, that's a figure for the Messiah. David was not resurrected. He did not become their king again, literally and physically. And he's not going to. And even millennialists will claim that they believe that speaking of Jesus and Ezekiel, not David literally. But if you are to be consistent with their literal approach, like Hal Lindsey and others, you know, like Great Planet Earth and that whole bit, you know, the what was the other uh, John X I mentioned a minute ago? The uh, what's the end time books that were so fake? Oh uh, yeah, Left Behind. Yeah, Left Behind. That whole that whole stuff. If you're to be consistent with their literal approach to all these things, you've got many contradictions in the Old Testament. A lot of people are not even aware that that the prophets would speak of a time in the future where the line would lay down with the lamb, and then in another passage it says that that wouldn't happen. It's like, well, which is it? You know, well, they're emphasizing yeah. different things, obviously, about the messianic times. They're not, you know, there's not contradictions. Not if you interpret them, and you don't even have to interpret them allegorically necessarily. You just interpret them as they're all fulfilled in Christ. Yes. Even if we don't know exactly how it's fulfilled, we know, and some of the things we do know exactly how it was fulfilled because. Holy Spirit had the apostles pinpoint it for us. And then some of them we don't. That's why I've just come to believe, too, that everything in the Old Testament pointed to Jesus in that, even the passages that don't directly refer to him, or we might even say in our minds they don't indirectly refer. They do indirectly because they all point to Jesus like to build faith in the coming Messiah. I mean, even the dietary laws, I think they indirectly point to Messiah, him fulfilling those things. And you think about Jesus' teachings on the dietary laws. You know, he cleansed all foods and those kinds of things. But anyhow, uh, oh, the yeah. Old Testament is misused very often. In my warning or my, my teaching is simply this. My summary is you can't literalize everything in the Bible. If, it, if, it, if, it, if, if literalizing certain passages implies an absurdity, or it implies a contradiction, 
And that's yeah. and that's what I have seen. I have followed their line of reasoning, and it's always either an absurdity, or it's completely not in the context, or it's making a, a bona fide contradiction. Well, that interpretation can't be true. I know that's a very simple summarization, but that that's the sum of it. You can't misuse those passages in Ezekiel and Daniel, and 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 can literalize certain things that are obviously meant to be figurative pictures. Now, I will say this about Daniel. In my opinion, he's the most explicit of the prophets. He's very, in my opinion, yes, he is the most like pinpoint what you think of as tit for tat predictions about Messiah. In my opinion, yep. he's the most tit and, for tat. and the destruction of Jerusalem. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. So check this. We're going to read three verses from Daniel chapter 12. Now, the end of the of the book of Daniel is not chapter 12. It's chapter, I can't remember how it goes, but chapter 9 should be the last chapter of the book of Daniel. Uh, if you're counting backwards, you probably have 9, 10, 12, 11, or 9, 10, 11, 12. I can't remember. Yeah, I've read a couple different theories, but yeah. 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 It's not in chronological order, the last no. four chapters. But check this. And at the time at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And that and at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book and many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life some to shame and everlasting contempt and they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament and they that turn away or and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever so in these days that Daniel is speaking of, this end is going to come and some people are going to be turned to righteousness. That is something that will not happen on the day of judgment. Yeah. There is no room for it. Yeah. So this has to be talking about something different. Oh, yeah. Which is the destruction of Jerusalem. Yeah, it's talking about the end of the Jewish nation. And, and I really think that probably this is alluding to the 18-month interim of time between when the abomination of desolation showed up in the holy place and then Vespasian was dethroned. We had another emperor that reigned for a little bit. Then Titus and, and not Vespasian, Nero I, was dethroned. Yeah. Another emperor ruled for a little bit. They got rid of him. They called Vespasian and Titus back. Vespasian was was crowned. Then Titus was sent back to finish the job. Mm -hmm. And all of the people, according to Josephus, who was followers of Christianity, they were able to escape that terrible judgment. But I've heard good brethren reference Daniel 12, verse 2 as a passage speaking of the resurrection at the end of time. It can't be. It says many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall wake. The resurrection at the end won't be many. Jesus no. said it would be all. Yes. All that are in the graves will hear his voice. Yes. This is talking about people repenting and being brought back to God. 
Uh, Cody Jones, help us out. What are you? What point are you making from Revelation twenty-one, one through three? And uh, Kumar says, "How long did Daniel ask for the for he and his friends Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael to be fed pulse and water while they were? I think it was ten days. They were they were fatter of flesh. That's in more Daniel, pleasant to look Daniel at. Daniel chapter one. You can yeah 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 yeah. Um, now." Terry Crooks, I hope you're still listening. Um, so how would the Jeho- what would the Jehovah's Witnesses say about Revelation 7 in light of the conversations we're having today? All right. Well, Jehovah's Witnesses have distinctive interpretation of Revelation 7, obviously, especially when it comes to the 144,000 mentioned in the chapter. Here's how the Jehovah's Witness interpret the chapter. So number one, the 144,000. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that the 144,000 mentioned in Revelation 7 are a literal number of anointed Christians who will rule with Christ in heaven. This group is distinct from the majority of Jehovah's Witnesses who hope for everlasting life on a paradisical earth. The 144,000 are seen as spiritual Israel. Taken from every tribe of the sons of Israel, Jehovah's Witnesses do not interpret these tribes as literal Jewish tribes, but as symbolic of spiritual Israel or anointed Christians. And again, remember, though, that's generally speaking, you may know a Jehovah's Witness that don't interpret it that way, just like we can find premillennialists that don't interpret. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, Cody Jones, that we will rejoice with God on earth for 1,000 years. That's absolutely not what that verse is saying. We will not rejoice with God on earth for 1,000 years. God is not coming back to earth for 1,000 years. Jesus cannot reign on earth for 1,000 years. And the curse of Coniah proves that. All right. All right. The seal on the forehead, or the great crowd of, of Revelation 7. In Revelation 7, 9, a great crowd is described which no one can number. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that this represents a group of faithful Christians who will live forever on a paradisical earth. They do not see this group as going to heaven, but enjoying the blessings of God's kingdom here on earth. The great crowd is viewed as distinct from the 144,000. While the 144,000 rule with Christ in heaven, the great crowd will benefit from their rule on earth. Cody Jones, I've read the verse. We'll read it again. Just stick around. I promise you. Uh, and, and there's other verses in the Bible besides that. That's what, I mean, we've been on here an hour and 30 minutes, and we've discussed there's nowhere in Scripture that in its context teaches that the earth is going to be a thousand years with Jesus reigning. Jesus is already reigning. Yeah, Revelation seven is is showing who will stand in the day of God's judgment against the Roman oppressor. It's answering yeah. the question of chapter six, verse seventeen. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who will be able to stand? Chapter seven says who will be able to stand in that time. That's it. That's it. Not people today. We're talking about a book written two thousand right. years ago that was at hand two thousand years. That's, yes. that's the thing, and perhaps Cody missed that. But that's that's the thing about Revelation. It's just often jettisoned. It's all it's just overlooked. Cody, I hope you don't get offended at this. I'm pretty blunt. Uh, yes, we are going to deal with your question and your comment. We're doing this for another commenter, but you you are given it's not, and it's not you have been given bad information, and so you have to break this cycle, this chain of bad information. There's a lot of stuff about which we can disagree in scripture, 
but to hold, and again, we're, we're going to show in, in, in the meantime, after, let me get through with this section. And then, um, Kumar, hold your questions. I, 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 I love that you're here, but th thank you for asking these questions, but we have, we have some pertinent important stuff to get to, uh, Cody, um, where was I? Oh yeah. Think about this. There are things that in order to believe that Jesus is going to reign on earth a thousand years, there are things in the Bible that have to be wrong, not misinterpreted, just wrong. So then therefore they cannot be true. If they are, if it is true that Jesus is going to reign on the earth a thousand years and we're going to rejoice on earth with him for a thousand years after the second coming, then there's verses that are easily interpreted that are wrong, and that's a bona fide contradiction. And we can throw the Bible away and live how we want to live because one contradiction totally destroys the authority of Scripture. Yeah. All right. Okay, the seal on the forehead. Revelation chapter 7 speaks of the servants of God being sealed on their foreheads. Jehovah's Witnesses understand this sealing as an indication of divine protection during the great tribulation mentioned in 714. The sealing of the 144,000 is viewed as, the, viewed as the process that began with the early Christians uh, and continues until the time immediately before the great tribulation. Uh, relationships to the previous discussions that we've had here today um, Cody, I don't think that I can answer that question. I don't think it's adequately um, specific enough for me to give a good answer. Explain what you mean by that, please. Do you believe in misinterpretation in our Bible? Um, regarding discussions with our with the nature of Christ's reign, like premillennialism and amillennialism, Jehovah's Witnesses have a unique eschatology. They do not fit neatly into traditional Christian eschatological categories. They do believe in a millennial reign of Christ. It's not earthly reign as envisioned by premillennialists. Only the 144,000 reign with Christ, but it's in heaven, while the rest of the faithful humanity, the great crowd, lives on earth. That's how they get by that pesky Re Revelation 14 hmm. about the 144,000. Like I can still, I can still experience a paradise. I'm just not going to reign. Yeah. And okay, so yeah, that that gets us. Um, do you believe it's been manipulated in any way? Cause I believe every word of it. Uh, no. Well, you can trust your English Bible now. If you've got a cotton patch version of the Bible, then no, you can't trust that. Uh, you have to do your due diligence because not all translations and versions are created equal. But you can't use the word on the street. I mean, that, there yeah. is a there's a so-called translation called the word on the street. That's just a joke. It's not translated by a committee of people that were linguists. Yeah. So if you have, if you have the New King James, the King James the American Standard 1901, the New American Standard 1901, the English Standard Version, uh, even the New International Version, even though it's the only translation I know of that actually has denominational dogma built in. Um, yeah, there, I mean, there's others. I, hate, I shouldn't have started listing because yeah. I don't want the fact that I haven't included some on my list to 
um, all that good stuff. Uh, where the 144,000 are, the great crowd is before the throne. That may be a fractured comment. I don't know what you mean by that. Yeah, or, or is it a question? Yeah, is that a question or are you commenting? I don't here, know what that means. From from my notes, here's what I had. And you, you may want to stop this, me doing this, and finish something you were trying to say. No, I, I think I'm finished. I, the, uh, Rusty, no, who who was it that wanted the, who asked over to win this question? Um, I can't remember. Well, I'm going back looking. Somebody asked. Yeah, it's like I didn't see it, which was perfectly fine. I don't have to see it, but you did. Um. Oh well, somebody asked, and I just—I think we're done with it. Yeah, I think we. I mean, they, they yeah. wanted to know what the Jehovah's Witness would say about it, and I, I think we covered. Yeah, it. and all I was going to do is just very, very succinctly mention that there's. Multiple bad views of it, like yeah, you know, and this is from my from my notes, my own notes uh, from study. Some say that the hundred forty four thousand are physical Jews who will be saved at the end of time, and then some say that they're Jews that are going to be converted and and preach the gospel after the so called rapture during the so called seven years of tribulation. Mm. But, but what we've talked about here is that the number is not obviously it's not literal because it's in a book that was given by signs and symbols according to revelation 1 and 2 you know it was sitting signified by an angel signified uh, an angel gave signs to john god gave in figures of speech but the num- but the number 144,000 couldn't be literal you've already mentioned it if it was there'd be no abraham in heaven right there'd, there'd be no patriarchs yeah, but, Abraham wouldn't. Know, Abraham is not eligible to right. be part of the hundred forty-four thousand, right. according to a literal reading of yeah. the because Matthew. But Jesus said Matthew eight eleven that Jesus that Abraham will be in heaven, and the same way with like Ephraim and Dan. You know, neither of them are listed, and yet the tribe of Joseph is mentioned. But there wasn't even literally a tribe of Joseph, right? So it's highly figurative. But again, what we have said, like same way with Revelation seven, and those are similar chapters. The number represents the saved that came through the persecution of Rome and Domitian, and they did not defile themselves by sin, but instead they were faithful to Christ. They were faithful to the Lord. That's what it's picturing there. And in chapter 7, about these different ones from the tribes, it's answering the question from chapter 6, verse 17. Sometimes the chapter divisions are unfortunate. You know, chapter 6, verse 17, the question was asked, for the, for the great day of his wrath, God has come, and who is able to stand? When chapter 7, he answers that question, who would be able to stand that great day? But again, this all goes back to the book of Revelation. Like, when was it written? What is the context of Revelation? Yeah. You know, to whom was it written? And what are the time signatures of the book? Like, does the writer give us hints as to when this is going to happen? And he he does. He 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 states yeah. multiple times that in the first century when he wrote this letter, whether you take the pre AD seventy date or the late date AD ninety six date, it was at hand in the first century. Yes, and he was told in Revelation twenty two, "Don't seal the book. It's about to happen." Well, Which is in stark contrast to what yes. Daniel was told in yes. Daniel chapter 12, yep. where he says, seal up the prophecy of this book. It is not for you, but it's for a different age. Yes. 
And so I think Daniel is about the destruction of Jerusalem. Revelation is about the destruction of Rome. The reason people get them crisscrossed and screwed up is because they use the same language for yeah. very similar events. Yeah. Yeah. And if you go back very, if, let me, I'm going to double check before I say this. If you go back and look very closely, if I'm not mistaken, and I will stand corrected if I'm, if I'm wrong, but the, the passage in, let's see, well, I just need to do a word search. In Daniel, I'm looking for the word seal, where he said to seal. I thought it was Daniel chapter 8. Let me look real fast, if y'all can yeah. bear with me real quick. Daniel. That's all good. Let's see here. Seal. Yeah. Yeah, now he does use it in 9, Daniel 9, but that's speaking that's specific, uh, speaking of the destruction of Jerusalem in chapter 9. In chapter 8, verse 26, and that's not in the context of, and that's another thing. You got to read the words to know the context, not a commentary. If you just read the verses, you'll figure out the context. In Daniel chapter 8, the vision of the ram and the goat, that's not about the destruction of Jerusalem. That, that's about the... Uh, Greek, the gent, the Greek, well, the uh, let, let, let me mitigate or flesh out what. I, yeah. So Daniel, overarchingly, yeah, the end of it is the destruction of Jerusalem. But mm -hmm. overarchingly, it is what did God do to foment and bring about the fullness of time so that the Messiah could be born under the law of a virgin. Yeah, and and that's. That's what the book of Daniel is about, really. Yep, yep. I mean, Daniel, Daniel 7 is the vision. Uh, Daniel 7 is the vision in the night. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that God is... Well, my, my podcast, Cogitations, Daniel seven twenty eight. Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me. My countenance changed in me, and I, and I kept the matter to my heart. And then he had another dream in chapter 10. Mm-hmm. And then you've got 11, 12, and then 9. Actually, no, you got 11, 10, 12, 9. Because 9 is the angel coming and saying, look, these things that you've had visions for, they're not shortly going to come to pass. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that, it's, it's, yeah, it's not going to come to pass until 70 weeks be fulfilled. Yeah, what I was going to mention was in Daniel chapter 8, it's, uh, it's speaking of the Medo-Persian and the Grecian empires. And, and, yes. he, and, he, and he says in chapter 8, verse 26, the vision of the evenings and mornings which, were, which was told is true, therefore seal up the vision for it refers to many days in the future. Now, what I was going to say was Daniel was speaking of Medo-Persia and Greece, which included Antiochus Epiphanes the Fourth, yes. being the little horn that would come from the breaking off of the Grecian kingdom. That well, that that last that, and, that Antiochus, event was like four hundred years. My point is yes. four hundred years away. Yes. He said, "Seal the vision," and it's about four hundred or less yeah. years away. In Revelation, he says, "Don't seal it; it's near." So yeah. surely the Book of Revelation would come to pass within four hundred years. Or much less. Yes. And I contend it was much less. So with um with Antiochus Epiphanes, he's the horn that rose up mm -hmm. after the other, after the four horns. Mm -hmm. So the he goat the he goat had this yep. one notable horn. It was broke. Four horns grew up. 
Then they were taken away and one horn grew up. That's Antiochus Epiphanes. Yeah. He's the one that really, I mean, he, 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 he sacrificed a pig on the altar. Oh yeah. Oh, and the, the words of desolate, the, the words like abomination and desolation are used yeah. in what he did. He desecrated the temple. Yes. Yeah. And that specific reference you're talking about is chapter eight, just for our viewers, chapter eight, verse nine. Out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south. This Again, this is in the context of Medo-Persia and Greece, not Rome. Yeah. The little right. horn of Rome would be Domitian. Yeah. But oh yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I may have been bleeding two things together. No, you no, you did. You said no, did it right. I? Okay, yeah, you did. Uh, it you was, said out it of the he goat. The overflow, no, I, you said it right. That okay. Out of the he goat yeah. came the little horn, which being Antiochus Epiphanes, yeah. chapter seven. He's talking about the fourth kingdom, Rome, and the little horn that comes out of Rome. Yeah, is Domitian, a Roman ruler. Not I like not, this stuff. Uh, it's good. It's I know. Yeah, and, and look, is. man, if, if you, you you need to read Josephus. Uh, and his uh, works, uh, what's it called? Anyway, just go get the, it's a book about as thick as my head, Josephus. Yeah. And it talks about how Alexander the Great was going, and this is a prophecy, by the way, this is one of the Messianic prophecies, but Alexander the Great was coming against Tyre. Tyre, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the Wheel of Time series, <laughs> Tyre. Anyway, Tyre, Tyre inside and Tyre. And sent a letter to Jerusalem says, hey, Jadua, the high priest, y'all need to send uh y'all need to send troops up here. And Jadua's like, no, we're bound to um to uh what's his face? Darius, mm -hmm. the Mede, and like or, or the, the king of Persia, Middle Persia. Like, no, we can't do that. And, and Alexander the Great said, I it I would I really need you, but if you're not gonna come, I'm going to win up here, and after I win here, I'm gonna come to Jerusalem and make an example of you people. Yeah. And on his way, so according to legend, Jadua got a vision from God, which I don't think he did because of prophecy in Amos. But what they decided to do was to deck the halls with boughs of folly. Fa la 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 la. They they put garland up. They opened. They they didn't shut everything up. They opened everything up. And according to this so-called vision, Jadua said, "Let's." Let's put on all the pomp and circumstance due to someone of Alexander the Great's station mm -hmm. and receive him that way, not as if we're afraid that he's going to kill us. And they went out to meet him in all the pomp and circumstance of the station of the high priest. And according to Josephus, when Alexander saw it afar off, he and his other generals, these four generals, uh, rode up there and Alexander the Great lit off his horse and kneeled before Judah and paid homage and oblation to him. And his generals were like, are you nuts? Are you crazy? We came down here to kill these people for embarrassing you. He said, no, you don't understand. Before I started my conquest to move against Tyre, I had a vision that told me to do it. And the God who's told me to do this, the, the, the priestly habit of the one who serves him is the, is the, is the priest standing before me. Hmm. Now you take that with a grain of salt. It yeah. may or may not be true, but what actually, again, that's just what history states yeah. happened. Yeah. And that's amazing. Yeah, that and so does that mean he believed he was fulfilling prophecy then? 
he did believe he was fulfilling yeah, prophecy. That's what I've read. And uh, Alexander yeah. the Great, and you can look this up, it's in secular history. Alexander the Great never moved against Judah. Conquered the whole world, didn't conquer Judah. Yeah. You Why? Let it be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ooh-wee. That's uh let's talk about Jack and I's curse. That's, yeah, do that. We gotta you gotta do and, that. And then we're gonna we end. Out. Yeah. Uh this is for Cody Jones. Cody, I really hope you're still here. So he, here I, I don't want to changing your mind 100% on every idea that you hold right now is going to be too much. Here's what I want you to focus on. Based on this doctrine that is commonly taught, Jesus is going to come back a second time and the rapture is going to happen, but then Jesus is going to come back and set up a kingdom on earth in Judah and set on the throne of David in Judah and reign and prosper. Okay, now Matthew chapter one, verse 11 is very important in this. And I'm just to, to, to keep me from rambling. I'm going to read. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. The curse on Jeconiah, also known as Coniah or Jehoiakim, and its relevance to the debate about premillennialism revolves around the lineage, lineage of the Messiah and the promises of an eternal Davidic kingdom. Jeconiah was a king of Judah who reigned around 598 to 597 B.C. The prophet Jeremiah pronounced a curse upon him because of his wickedness. Jeremiah 22, verse 30. Thus saith the Lord, write ye this man childless, a man that shall not prosper in his days. For no man of his seed shall prosper, setting upon the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. This curse presented a problem because Jeconiah was in the royal lineage of David. If the Messiah is to come from David's line as promised in the scriptures, but no descendant of Jeconiah can sit on David's throne, how can this be reconciled? So what then are the implications for premillennialism and the people that hold that doctrine? Premillennialism asserts that after Christ's second coming, he will establish a literal, physical, 1,000-year reign on earth from David's throne in Jerusalem, this messianic rule would fulfill the Old Testament prophecies about a Davidic king ruling forever. However, if Jesus is a direct descendant of Je Jeconiah, and Matthew 1.11 says that he is, the curse would seemingly prevent him from occupying David's throne in a literal earthly kingdom, as premillennialists posit. Mm-hmm. So the genial, 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 all, well, come on now, genealogical <laughs> solution. I, I wrote, I write that word a lot. I don't ever say it. Yeah. The genealogical solution. All right. So the gospels present a solution to this dilemma, supposedly. In Matthew's genealogy, Matthew 1 traces Jesus's lineage through Joseph, his legal but not biological father. This lineage includes Jeconiah. It establishes Jesus' legal right to David's throne, but would seem problematic with Jeconiah's curse if taken in isolation. Luke's genealogy in Luke 3 traces Jesus' lineage through Mary, his biological mother. This lineage bypassed Jeconiah and traces back to David through another son, Nathan. This means Jesus biologically a descendant of David without the hindrance of Jeconiah's curse. There's just one problem. 
when it comes to Jewish adoption, it doesn't matter if it's biological or not. The curse would still stand. So here's the argument. Well, since Matthew is using the kingly line to show that Jesus has the right, then it stands. Yes. He was. He was. And what it would know. mean, yeah. what it would mean then is Jesus, if it is the case that Matthew says, here's Jesus's right to, to rule the throne, the throne of David, it would mean that Jesus has no right mm-hmm. to rule on the throne of David. Yeah. Because he's the son of this guy. I mean, that's. Yeah. It still stands. Yeah. All right. So refutation of premillennialism. The argument in relation to refuting premillennialism would be structured as follows. The curse of Jeconiah complicates the idea of a literal earthly Davidic reign if Jesus is in his lineage. While Jesus has a legal claim to David's throne through Joseph, his biological lineage, which bypasses Jeconiah's curses through Mary, this meticulous effort to establish Jesus's biological descent apart from Jeconiah indicates the importance of a curse-free lineage for the Messiah. If premillennialism's earthly reign was the primary focus, it would be problematic for Jesus to have any association with Jeconiah's line. The very presence of the curse and the dual genealogies underscores that Jesus' kingdom might be of a different nature than a literal 1,000-year earthly reign. So I am being very, very, very conservative with this argument. I am really, really pulling the punches here. I'm really, really trying to steel man the other side. I'm saying, at the very, very least, the curse of Jeconiah causes a problem. But I think taking it face value, it yep. totally and 100% prohibits yeah. Jesus from being able to reign yep. on earth, on the throne of David, yep. in Judah, and prospering. So, and since and since Peter said that Jesus is on David's throne in his sermon, Acts two twenty nine to thirty six. That's it. That tells you the nature then of the throne of you know David and Jesus reigning on it now. Yes, the nature of it is. It's yeah, that, not that, that him is coming back in, at the end on earth. It's now yeah. in heaven. Well, you know Hebrews one three. He's at the right hand of God. Yeah, and let's go to Hebrews twelve. And since he's um, the descendant of David, he's reigning on David's throne. As a descendant, doesn't have to be a physical throne on, in Jerusalem. That's it. All right. Hebrews 12, starting in verse 23. To the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, so on and so forth. But what's the general assembly and church of the firstborn? He's talking to Christians. So if there is a plural possessive pronoun, not possessive, if there's a plural pronoun, then that would be talking about the general assembly in the church of the firstborn. Mm -hmm. Verse 28 of Hebrews 12, wherefore we, that's the general assembly in the church of the firstborn, receiving, that's a participle that implies it's currently taking place or it has, in, in the idea of it, mm-hmm. is currently taking place. So, like, this is happening. The General Assembly and the Church of the Firstborn are coetaneous with whatever's coming back, the, whatever we're receiving. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom yep. which cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. 
where, Aaron, according to the text, may we serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, having grace. Now, in the kingdom. In the, in the, in the, 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 the yep. kingdom which the general assembly and the church of yep. the firstborn have received. Yep. Yep. Exactly. It is incontrovertible that Jesus is now sitting on the throne of David, and we are the church, the kingdom, the general assembly, yep. the church of the firstborn. We have received the kingdom. It is now. Yep. We must then be in the millennium yep. talked about in Revelation, and it is metaphorical, not literal. Yeah, absolutely. And Cody, I really hope you're still here, and I hope you heard all that. Uh, follow us on, on our platforms. Uh, go here. I'm just going to mention it, Substack. Go to Substack. Follow us there. It's free. We do have stuff behind the paywall on Substack, but trust me, everything. And I, I may do some articles about this and, and put them out um, because really and truly, my brethren are plagued by this. Yeah. One more thing on that whole throne of David. You know, premillennialists will claim that Christ is now on the throne of God, but he's not on the throne of David. But if you studied the Old Testament, it reveals that they are one and the same. Yes. Well, uh, again, Ezekiel chapter six. Yeah. Yep. Uh, not, no, not, not Ezekiel. Um, well, two passages for that that I have my notes here. Is First Kings one thirty five and First Chronicles twenty eight five. Well, yeah, the but, phrases are used interchangeably. Yeah, but Zechariah. Oh yeah, Zechariah, Zechariah six, six thirteen yeah, fourteen the, the, twelve the, thirteen. The king, yeah. the kingdom, and the priesthood are, are, He's are king and priest on the throne at the same time. Yep. Yeah. Revelation yep. seven nine and fourteen Absolutely. three. What is? What are, what are those? Those are two chapters we've already looked at. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. About I got the, you. Got you. Still about the ones the throne, that are okay. able to stand through the persecution. Yeah. yeah. Good deal. Good deal. Yeah. Um, and, and Cody Jones says, yes, sir, man, I've really enjoyed what I've heard. I got so many questions. Okay. Keep them, write them down and work them in. We would love for you to turn it. Don't, don't Hey, Facebook user. Don't say, sorry, you're all good. Um, um, my train derailed. What was I saying? You were trying to tell Cody there about write those questions yeah. down. Write and, those questions down and, and yeah. work them into these live streams if you can watch them. Also, uh, I, I'm, look, I won't be able to give you the one-on-one attention that your question would deserve. But what I can do, if you will send through Christianity Now Facebook uh, private messenger, if you can send a question, we can make a podcast out of it, whether, whether it's me and Aaron or whether it's me by myself or Aaron by himself, yeah. or we can write some articles about it. Yeah. And, and yeah, we won't even, we don't even need need to mention your name. Right. And I, I I dare say that we're going to, we're going to, we're going to be on opposite sides of the ditch on quite a bit of things. We're not going to treat you disrespectfully. We're just going to make our case. And I, I hope that, I hope that you'd come around to some of the things that we teach. Uh, not many Christians believe the Bible word for word anymore. Those that do are the ones I want to hear from. Yes, and I need to make a case. Uh, I wrote an article about figurative language and understanding figurative language. I believe the Bible word for word. Every every word is inspired. In fact, um, in John 6, whenever Jesus turns to Peter and says, "Are or the, the, the 12, he says, are y'all going to leave me the way these folks leave me? This is not, the, this is not, a, this is not a verbatim quote. This is the Tony Brewer paraphrase. Uh, are you going to leave me like these people left me? Uh, 
Peter said, well, Lord, where would we go? And he says something profound and, and something that we don't need to take for granted. Where would we go? It's you that have the words, plural, of yeah. eternal life. And that really, when I, that dawned on me one day. I'm like, every single word in the scriptures is important and is worthy of me to figure out yeah. why it's there. Mm-hmm. Why is it in Matthew chapter 5 does the scriptures tell me that when Jesus went to a high mountain apart, when he sat down, he opened his mouth and spake unto them saying, I'm not stupid. I know that if Aaron is speaking to me, he has to open his mouth. So mm-hmm. what does that mean? It means <clears throat> in, in the Jewish tradition, when it is said of someone and he opened his mouth and spake, that signifies that somebody is speaking as the mouthpiece of God. And interestingly enough, you'll hear that language in Acts chapter 10 when Peter starts preaching. He opened his mouth and said, I perceive that God is not a respecter respecter of persons. persons. Yeah. So that's just one way that we, this, the words. So whenever you read something, you got to figure out, sometimes a good question to say is not, why did he say that is, why did he say this and not that? Yeah. Why, why did he say it this way? And, and get, you don't have to know the original language to understand the Bible, but it is good to look at your definitions, do an yeah. etymological word study, stuff like that. Figure out yeah. why those words are used. Yeah. And one thing that we have emphasized in this study, especially some of the things that I brought uh, to the table, is that the book, and when you, Tony, you've mentioned it too, is that the book of Revelation, it, it's figures. Yes, it, it, it's 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 figurative language. It's symbolic, and yeah, we believe every one of them. But what yep. is you know? But what did he actually well, say, and why did he say it, and so to whom did he say it? You know, that's, I can't remember which one of his friends did, but in Job, one of his friends mm-hmm. claimed to have a vision from God. Yeah, in which he lied. So it can't, it could not have been a vision because God doesn't reveal things that are not true. Yeah. So, but, so how do you reconcile that? Well, we have an inspired account of what Job went through. Job was an inspired writer. He wasn't an inspired man. In other words, when, when Job said the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. He was wrong Mm -hmm. because God didn't give it. God didn't take it away from him. Satan did. Yeah. So he was wrong. But yet, then how do I reconcile that? We have an inspired account of what Job went through. Yeah, it's true that Job said that. Yes. But the statement that he made was not true. That's what you call an unreliable narrator. Yeah. Yeah, the the lies of Satan are recorded in Scripture, and they are true accounts of what he said. Yeah. But what he said is not true. He's the father of lies. Guarantee it, John 8. Yeah. yeah. All right. I got to be done, bro. Uh, Aaron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've done. This is good stuff. More could be said, but yeah. just, you know, this is a very broad subject. And um, I want to encourage people, just go back and, and read carefully, like the even the beginning and the end of Revelation, the way John emphasizes that this, he's talking to people in his time, in his day. Yeah. Oh. It's about to happen then. Just, the horses on the plains of Megiddo. Mm-hmm. The, the amount of horses that 
that Revelation says is going to be on the plains of Megiddo. They wouldn't fit. There is not enough square footage yeah. on the plains of Megiddo to hold all those horses. Yeah. So it, it can't work. So it's, so it's got to be figurative. It's not literal. Yeah. 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 Rusty Kirby. Great podcast, guys. Thank you so much. Yep. Thank you. Aaron, you want the last word? I uh, just check us out on all those things you see on the screen, all those platforms. We'd love for you to follow us and share, share, share the information that we put out. That's it. And I would ask a favor of every one of you. Go to Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or TuneIn Radio. This won't cost you a dime. Search Cogitations and subscribe. Eliphaz, thank you. Subscribe to Cogitations. And that will help us as well because this audio will be archived on Cogitations Podcast and and Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn Radio are just the main ones, but Podbean puts it out everywhere. Yeah. And one one more thing that I would like to say, if Cody is still watching, thanks for watching, Cody. And um, if you didn't see the whole podcast, this episode, I want to encourage you, go back once we're done and watch from the very beginning when you have, as soon as you have time, because yeah. uh, there were a lot of things said before. So, and we'd yep. love for you to hear those things. So go and back I, and I rant and rave. And don't, don't let that turn you off. <laughs> but I was ranting and raving in the beginning about people reading denominational commentaries that are full of false doctrine. But you anyway. say, but you say that because, and I, I think Cody feels this way just from the few, if he believes every, that the, you know, the Bible is inspired the, by God. That's the point. Don't don't yeah. lean on commentaries. Focus all your attention on the Word of God. Keep it in its context, and you'll yeah. you're gonna you're the, gonna get it. the The Bible sheds a lot of light on the commentaries if you let it. Yeah, yeah. And 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 I, I always say this. My brethren just look at me. I was like, you know, if I ever got too cold, I'd start burning all them books on a shelf behind me. Yeah. To keep warm, and it wouldn't bother me a bit. Now there's some Bibles on the top shelf. There. I'm not going to yeah, burn, obviously, burn but yeah, keep them. Yeah. But yeah, but anyway, Cody, thank you so much, and uh, Debbie, good to see you. I'm glad you're here, folks. Cogitations, uh, subscribe, please. Uh, subscribe for free on Substack, and then the rest of those things here. You know what to do. God bless every one of you. This has been Tony Brew and Aaron Dotson with a much too long episode of Christianity Now. And that's all I've got. God bless you. And we'll catch you on the flip side.